Hi, I'm Sunny Dean. And I'm Scott Drakeford. And this is the Publishing Rodeo Podcast. In 2022, we both launched debut novels in the same genre with the same publisher in the same year. But despite having very similar starts, our books, and subsequently each of our careers, went in very different directions. That pattern repeats itself throughout the industry over and over. Why do some books succeed while others seem to be dead on arrival? In this podcast, we aim to answer those questions and many more, along with how to build and maintain an author career. Everyone signing a contract deserves to know what they're really signing up for. In an industry that loves its secrets, we'll be sharing real details from real people. We'll cover the gamut of life as a Big Five published author, from agents to publishing contracts, finances, and more. I need to start checking that people have Chrome because you had two people in a row that mm. didn't have Chrome browser. Anyway. Yeah, I, yeah, I am. Um, I, my day job is podcasts, so yeah. I, um, when I saw the Riverside link, I was like, Chrome. <laughs> I was interested in that. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw that on your. Time. Yeah, I saw that on your profile. Oh, mm. one thing, Sunny is awesome at editing, and she edits out any you know, dumb stuff I say or anything you want to take back, et cetera. So (laughs) don't be afraid to take advantage of that process. But yeah, I mean, Sunny, if you're okay with it, I want to hear about the podcasting as a a day job now. That's really interesting. Do you want to tell, sorry, introduce like who you are and and, uh, explain everything about you and yeah, the the podcasting side, which we're totally interested in for selfish reasons. Podcasting (laughs) books. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, Can you tell us how to do this? (laughs) You guys are doing great. You're doing such a good job. No, you truly are. Yeah, I'm Ella McLeod. I'm the author of Rapunzella or Don't Touch My Hair, which was my debut. I published with Scholastic in the UK last July. And yeah, my day job is podcasting. I picked two really stable careers. Mm -hmm. It doesn't require looking for work or dealing with delayed invoices or anything like that ever. Like it's it's really easy going <laughs> and chill. Um, <laughs> Very easy to monetize, yep. hundred percent, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, my, my parents love love that for me. <laughs> 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 so when I went to universe, I'm, you're gonna get my life story now. <laughs> um, you want the life story, that's okay, great. Cool. My like whole life, I'd wanted to be an actor. That was my like thing. It was kind of the thing I was known for as a kid. I went to stage school on Saturdays and was in every school play and was like that, very much that child. And then I went to university. I went to Warwick, which is a university here. And I did English and theatre. And my whole plan was like, when I get out into the world, I'm going to be an actor. And uh, then I did it for like two years and was like, this fucking sucks. <laughs> this is the worst. I found it really difficult. And I mean, clearly I'm a sadist because then I decided to be a writer. But yeah. in that moment, I was like, yeah, the rejection is really a lot right now. Casting directors are brutal. And after like several auditions, and by several, I mean like, you know, over two years, probably about. 20 which is a lot for the self-esteem but not enough to feel like you're a working actor it's uh, mm. it's great and of like walking into room after room seeing people that was essentially like hotter versions of myself and then being told that like i was a i was a poor typecast of the typecast that i was being typecast i was like maybe this isn't for me so i kind of had to go back to the drawing board a little bit because i'd 
wanted to do it since the age of like four and was kind of like oh I don't actually really know who I am if I don't want to act so I started looking kind of acting adjacent and I was really into storytelling and was very I liked kind of politics and current affairs and interesting narratives and so I just did freelance stuff in like tv production researching political comms just like that sort of space and then it was like playing a game of hot and cold like what do I like about this thing what do I hate about this thing and I just edged closer to like audio and that format of like storytelling and so that's kind of how it happened then I was like working full-time at a production company called something else which has just been bought by Sony and then I went freelance around the time I got my book deal because it was kind of funnily enough podcasting also isn't well paid and, <laughs> and I found that I was doing like a a job that I loved but was quite demanding in terms of like hours and then like mm. finishing work really late and then having to like write a book <laughs> so I was like okay well maybe I'll try freelancing and sort so that's sort of what I've been doing since if you get anyone to pay for podcasting, I'm impressed. I mean, Thank I think part, part of our issues, I think we sort of decided early on the, the only sponsors we were really interested in was like Scrivener or Writer's Tears Whiskey. And then mm. we, we did absolutely nothing to like approach these people and just couldn't be bothered. So we just fork out for the cost. Cause, like, oh, I can help you with that if you like, because it's quite like there's a there's a format to getting sponsorship that when okay. you know it is actually quite doable so we can talk about that after if you want <laughs> we, we, well we might try i think because we were only sort of month four or five and i was sort of i don't even know if we'll go beyond a year but we'll we'll see um, okay and i remember when you were mentioning chasing up invoices mm. there was a period after uni where i did freelance editing and trying to get people to pay you is like the worst experience so complete sympathy i'm so glad that, that maybe is like the first thing i want to um, is going to be a takeaway that i say on this is like if you are someone that is responsible for the paying of invoices pay your freelancers like it and you know what's so annoying as well is that i know because i've been the person that's had to pay invoices before yeah. and i always did it so promptly but mm -hmm. it, it's so annoying because it's like I know that for you it's just like clicking a button and typing in a code and it's just that you've forgotten to do it because you're busy but that's my rent <laughs> that's yeah. me getting my electric shut off you know what I mean like yeah. Cor <laughs> yeah. yeah corporations corporations will delay payment on purpose until the very end of the terms you know I don't know if you if you have the same types of terms because delaying payment means that that cash sits in their ecosystem for longer. Wow. And so, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I mean, especially in the startup world, right? But you, you hear a lot of advice of like, don't pay your bill until the very last day or don't pay your bill, period, and see who comes knocking. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty yeah. awful. I was just dealing with individuals, but I remember I had this one lady that, you know, she, her, because uh, I was like editing masters and PhDs and stuff like that for foreign students and I went through her master with her like it needed so much work because we get a lot of foreign students who don't necessarily have the English but they have like a ton of money um, that sounds really bad but it, it is a thing like because of how the exchange the UK exports 
degrees. It's it like really it's, does. It, right, so they are for sale. And if you have enough money, the fact that you, you basically have you no know, English literacy is not an issue after a certain point. Anyway, so I went through with this with her and she insisted on meeting in person to pay me. I was like, all right. And she showed up with her fucking husband. And this guy was like, I'm not paying you that. It's not worth it. And he gave me like half. Of, and, and it was like really threatening, what? right? And I was like, okay. And then she came back two months later and she's like, oh, I've got another project. Do you want to work with me? And I thought, oh, my God, no. Are you kidding? <laughs> Are you kidding me? So, oh, I'm so glad to not do that anymore. That's wild. Yeah. Sunny, we don't have to include this in the uh, actual episode, but I will, I will handle that. I do not have a problem kicking in some doors and being I, a jackass to no, get money am- if we need to. And I'm the person that kicks, and I'm now the person that will do that as well. That like, my my sister said that, um, my sister jokes that if I was a white woman, I'd be a Karen, but because I'm a black woman, I'm a Ronda. <laughs> and now we say like, whenever I'm like having to have a go at someone about paying, and like, I, I do it for my friends. They like pass me their emails, and like, Ella, bring out Ronda. And Ronda comes out in full force, like, it's been 29 days. My terms of payment are 20 days. Like, I really don't care. <laughs> no, it's the way you have I to be. It. Otherwise people just get away with stuff. It's yeah, ridiculous. Sure. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, and after yeah, podcasting, so the wonderful stable world of the publishing. Stable world of publishing. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so one one thing I am curious about Ella, just because, and, and I, you know, I don't have an ear for accents, especially UK accents. Uh, Son, you can tell you that I have made some really dumb comments, uh, <laughs> even just in our short tenure. However. <laughs> I mean, your your voice is genuinely lovely. <laughs> Sunny's <laughs> back so there much. giggling. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. The, the only uh, thing that comes to mind where people can actually get paid in our world on a regular basis seems to be narrating audiobooks. Have you thought about getting into that space? Um, I have thought about it. Um. I, I mean, look, at this point, I'll do anything if they pay me, you know, but I, uh, <laughs> I, at the mo- I mean, my, my aim would always be eventually to be able to narrate my own. Like that's the, that would be mm-hmm. a dream yeah. for me. Um, and it's something that like me and my agent are sort of pushing for. Um, but weirdly the way I'm told anyway, the way that audio rights sell, um, because I write YA as well, that's an important piece of context. The way mm. that it generally works for YA or for children's literature is that audio rights get bought as a package, so it's rare for a standalone to get acquired for audio rights. So my second book comes out next year, and so supposedly that's when my audio rights will be a thing, and we'll we'll look at audio books. That's weird. Yeah, that does sound odd. Yeah. So you don't have audio until the next book comes out. Supposedly, yes. This is what I've heard. Yeah. So is okay. that is that something particular? I'm I'm googling a few things as we mm, speak now. Please. Um, is that is so? Is that something that was sold to you as being particular to the YA market? Then, yeah, I guess the YA and children's market. I, that's sort maybe of teens that I don't was, listen to. I think that interesting. is interesting. I've also been told that like, so I mean the the what I'm given to understand is that like if you sell an adult novel audiobooks will either mm. go immediately or they won't go at all, basically. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Whereas it, it's a lot harder to get, yeah, it's, it's a lot harder to get YA uh, turned into audiobooks, apparently. I assume, yeah, because teens don't listen to audiobooks as much. Obviously, they're quite costly to make and then they just don't sell yeah. as well. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean... I, I can't I I could buy that right maybe that's 
that's real. I will say, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, Adding speak in ill the of anyone. Scott, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I will just say, and I, I think I've mentioned some or most of this uh, on the podcast, so it shouldn't be new. But Tor took audio rights with my three book deal, mm-hmm. and it was just an assumption that because they took it and you know were printing a, a quite a few hardcovers, et cetera, that they were going to make a book. Uh, or an audiobook, right? And as you said, in adult, maybe it's more common to to happen with the first book rather than wait to yeah. see how it does and get the second book out. However, I was told that the avenues have been exhausted, and then Tor was very cool about reverting the rights, oh, thankfully, damn. and we got interest almost immediately when my agent yeah. went out to. Uh, the companies himself, the audio companies himself. So that's yeah, really they're... interesting. I mean, what I will say is, I retain my audio rights. Like I still have those. So my publisher didn't buy the audio rights. Okay. Okay. So have you submitted the audio rights anywhere, or are you kind of holding on to it to see? So the conversations that we I've had with like my agent are that mm-hmm. um, yeah, they had a look, they had a chat again with apparently with YA. It's very difficult for it to be a thing, and hmm. the the feeling is that will do two at once. Yeah. So does, okay. it, de- does it yeah. depend on the kind of YA? Because I remember at York, people were discussing mm. with me, that basically you have upper YA, which yeah. is 16 to 18, you've got lower, which is four, kind of 14 to 16. And upper yes. YA itself is divided into the YA that actual teens, like my partner's youngest yes. daughter, would actually read. And then yes. half yes. of that YA is women my age reading 100%. it. <laughs> yeah, like the smutty Sarah J Mass stuff, right? Yeah, like, so that's, like that yeah. probably gets audiobooks, I feel like. It does, like. yeah, for yeah. sure. And I'm lower <laughs> YA, so... Okay, um, right. Like... Proper children. So <laughs> Sorry, like, that's not wrong, so, I have to cut no, that. No, <laughs> so like, no, no, so actual, the aim is that actual children Kids, will, yeah. will read it. Um, okay. So that's the sort of like, yeah, um, part of the market that I occupy. But it's it's been such a weird... The ho- my whole kind of way in was so odd and like I think I didn't realize how odd it was until after the fact and then mm. and then retrospectively been like oh yeah that's that's really really weird um particularly because like before you debut I don't know about you guys I mean actually this is also true the fact that because my experience has been weird but like before I debuted I didn't know any writers I, I wasn't in any writers groups I didn't have any writer friends or any at least any novelist friends um mm-hmm. so i've learned everything as i've debuted which has been mm-hmm. like really interesting um and i think <laughs> it's been really interesting i think i've got quite lucky considering how blind i went in which is good i would say but it's also been a real revelation because there is, I'm trying to think of how to okay I'll start at the beginning and then you'll see what I mean okay. so for up top like adore my agent and my editorial team and I think yeah. it, I have to say that out out the gate and I think that's why I've been really lucky is that like my agent yeah. is so like has my back at every turn and that's great and I have a really lovely editorial team at Scholastic um why I say it's been weird is that like so in 2020 I don't know if you guys saw the like statistics that went out at the beginning of 2020 that said that like in children's literature, um, books are eight times more likely to have an animal as a protagonist than a black person. Did you see that study? No. Yeah. So that was a thing in 2020. So eight times more likely to have an animal as a protagonist than a black person. So that's what we were looking at at the beginning of 2020. 
Then the middle of 2020 happened and George Floyd was murdered and there was a huge BLM resurgence and suddenly everybody from every industry ever, from advertising to M&S to publishing to film, was scrabbling to prove that they supported black creators. And what this did, at least in my experience, was create like two types of interest. The interest from people where the desire to uplift black creatives was genuine and there was like a genuine reckoning with mistakes that had perhaps been made in the past. And then there was like the very performative allyship. And so as a black creator creating in that time, it it really felt like I was like walking this tightrope of like, am, am I going to form relationships with people that are gonna be lasting? Or am I gonna form relationships with people that are gonna drop when this moment is over? And where I say I got lucky is that I, I think I did form relationships with people where the, the desire to support me and uplift me was genuine. Um, but I also think that that was like not an accident because when I was looking at agents, I, you know, I did the thing where I looked at like what kinds of writers they had on their books. And like my agent represents a poet called Grace Nichols and I love Grace Nichols. She's one of my favorite poets. And I kind of thought, well, if this is who Grace picked, then I want, do you know what I mean? That was my sort of thinking. And then with my publishing house, Scholastic, obviously they're a mid-sized publisher they're a publisher who have spent a lot of time in schools which I think is like hugely important as a children's publisher so they're not just like selling to parents they're really in touch with like so like the Scholastic Book Fair is a big thing internationally and like they they really have that sort of like like on the ground desire to increase access to literature and that was something that was really important to me when thinking about like who I would want to be published by because, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, um, there is a, a failure to reach young black kids like across the board in publishing. There are lots of reasons for that, but I do believe that Scholastic are a publishing house trying to overcome that. So yeah, I started writing, I started writing my book when I was at uni, it was my dissertation and then in yeah. the pandemic like all the tv work and stuff that i was doing dried up and i got made redundant and sat at home with nothing to do and was like oh maybe i'll try rewriting this thing and i was like writing poetry and putting that on the internet and started submitting stuff to agents um and this is where i'm like aware that it's not like usual because yeah. i think i heard back from my agent in like three weeks and was signed yeah. by the end of the month and then we worked on the book for maybe like a few, for five months. And then I went on sub and got an offer within like four weeks. So, and like, I'm aware that that's, yeah, not usual, particularly because we went on sub with a partial and I got an offer for two books. So like, you know, yeah. and so, and I think that what is happening concurrently there is like good luck, but also timing, you know, there was a, hmm. an appetite for topical work by topical people yeah <laughs> and in 2020 i was a topical person being black was really topical so <laughs> i was i was glad you, know. you wanted to, to talk about it actually because i'd never i never would have asked you to speak on that just mm. because i know that like when basically in my debut i started finding everyone wanted to talk to me about autism and nothing else and i mm. thought 
but yeah you don't you, you can fall into this trap of everyone pigeonholing you so I thought sure. well I wouldn't ask but then you volunteered and I was like that that did interest me because you know something I was aware of in our podcast like when we initially started out and it was just like we didn't thank anyone more than, than a handful of people would listen and it was just like our friends and some random people we knew <laughs> And I was aware that our early guest list was very much, mm. I hope no one's offended by this, a mayonnaise buffet. And, <laughs> uh, sorry, Scott. Love that. And, you know, <laughs> you know, it, and it, that kind of reflects a lot of what I see in publishing as well, where mm-hmm. it was like lots of different flavors of white guy and lots yeah. of Asian people that I know from kind of East Asian circles. And... Yeah. There were some black and brown authors that I talked to and they were a little wary of mm-hmm. coming on. I think they felt like their position was more precarious in the industry. Because it is. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like the only reason, like I I, I feel like, because I, we, I, we had this conversation and I think the mm. reason I feel like I can even say this is because because I've been really supported by mm. like my agent and editors. I think if I'd had a difficult experience with my publishing house or my agent, I wouldn't want to talk about it because I'd be like, oh, I don't want to get like screwed somehow, you know? But like, I, I don't, that I, my, what I mean to say is yeah. my experiences of how, of being affected because of my race in this industry are far more systemic and in a way that makes it easier to talk about in a platform yeah. like this because I'm not like pointing a finger at an individual because there isn't an individual. And yeah. often, and that's why it's hard to change. You don't have to rock the boat. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have to rock the boat. But it also makes it harder to change because like if I could just point at some like at one bad guy in a big five and go, it's their fault that publishing remains pretty white and flawed, <laughs> <laughs> then that would be great, wouldn't it? We could all go catch the bad guy and then we'd have no problems. But it's so much more nuanced than that and it's so much more complicated than that. Like, even that statistic. And then the thing and the thing that's been really interesting as well is that, like, since 2020... So in 2020, there was a massive uptick in, like, particularly in children's literature, bestsellers by black authors. I think there was something like a 17% increase. That's and then between wow. 2020 and 2021, there was a 31% decrease. Okay. Because the moment oh, passed. Wow. Yeah. So it's telling you know those it, it's it's really telling and i think that that's because and this is something that i have felt like I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this when you're <laughs> when you're black writing a story about black people with a black person on the front cover it it somehow feels niche or like what you're doing is niche there's this like se- it's an issue book yeah exact exactly yeah. like it and like no one ever suggests that books about white men are only for white men. Books about white men are mainstream, but books about black women are for black women and are niche, you know? Yeah, actually that that segs into a question I was gonna ask you about, which has to do with the UK-US divide, but also <laughs> how, the, how the marketing approaches it because they're, there was a, there were some certain fantasy titles which I won't name, but which were published recently, and the U.S. versions had black characters on the cover, which publisher then went back and changed those covers because they believed it was kind of completely hamstringing the sales. Mm-hmm. So they had to remove because uh, you for those who don't know for fantasy and sci-fi fantasy um, sci-fi genre we tend to have 
portrait kind of covers for American books. People there like to see faces or figures. The UK likes to have text or graphics, um, which is why it was like kind of a US thing. The US cover had, you know, a black character in the front and the UK cover didn't. And yeah, if, I think you mentioned that the UK and US markets were different and just mm. what your experience of that was. Yeah, I think, oh God, <laughs> trying to, okay. So this is an example. For Black History Month in, I'm trying to remember if it was the US one or the UK one. I think it was the US Black History Month last year. I, this year, yeah, in February of this year, when it was the when it was Black History Month in the US, I was like, oh, it'd be really fun on TikTok to put together a list of my favourite UK YA fantasies by black mm. authors because um, yeah let me let me do that and at the time and I did exhaustive research there were like five including me uh, and they were so myself huh. Natasha Bowen with her Skin of the Sea duology um, who else I think I put Alexandra Shepard's Oh My Gods which is like sort of not even really fantasy but I put it on there because there weren't that many um Shannon Smarts which is steeped in gold Femi Oduba's The Upper World and myself is that yeah yeah so that those and it was so interesting because I like did this video and I was like oh I really wanted a like nice juicy list but this was all I could find and then people in the comments were like, what about this one? What about this one? And I was like, they're American, they're American, they're American. Yes, of course I've heard of Tomi Adeyemi, she's American. And so, and I think that like paints the picture basically. And I think the reason for it, and this is what I mean by like, it isn't like it's one person. I think the reason for it is that like, for a very long time, the fantasy that has done well in the UK is based off like a kind of medieval England reimagining. And it's it's overwhelmingly white. It it's so overwhelmingly white that like <laughs> when anyone tries to change that, like with the Lord of the Rings recent series, people get very angry at yeah. the thought of like a black hobbit, which is hysterical because they don't exist. Um, <laughs> and so we we have these stories that are sort of based on a medieval in medieval England, medieval Europe aesthetic with different magic systems and races and languages but all of those races are kind of a version of white and all of those languages are a version of a european language and anything that approximates blackness or brownness tends to be incredibly racist and offensive and othering yeah and so i'm yeah. sorry go on <laughs> no yeah no no and so yeah that's um that's the problem yeah. basically yeah. <laughs> I won't name it, but I did go to a con here once, which I don't know if it was just that year, but there was a single black author at the yeah. entire con. That was in the UK. And <laughs> I did attend a panel there that was on like world horror fiction. Uh, every panelist was Caucasian and they were kind of aware Damn. of it and discussing it during the panel. And But it was a little bit like, I think someone might drop the ball on this organization. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think Britain as well. I mean, again, this is it's, I, this is a wider issue, but but in general, I think America has been forced to confront its history with racism in a way that Britain hasn't, because hmm. because slavery literally happened on American soil, that like does something to the way that you reckon with the fallout from that time 
Whereas Britain has always been able to say, oh, that's a problem over there. It's a problem of Britain's making, but it, it, it's happening over there to those people. And so when black writers write fantasy and use fantasy as they so often do as like a tool of like radical reimagining, I think that's quite confronting for a lot of people. And, you know, I was, I did a panel at Comic-Con in May with Natasha Bowen, who's wonderful. And someone asked, and I was talking about like, yeah, using magic as a force for, re for reimagining and how the book that I wrote is me wrestling with having an identity that only exists because of this like traumatic, hideous thing that happened in human history. Because like my family from Jamaica, I live in Britain, my grandparents came over on the Windrush. Like everything, that my whole conceptual idea, my, my whole conceptualization of what it means to be black exists solely because of the transatlantic slavery it's it's not like i have family in like ghana or nigeria or any part of west africa that i can like tangibly identify with like my surname's mcleod you know so i was having that conversation and talking about using fantasy to like work through these themes of like home going and identity and coming of age and place things that are explored in fantasy by by most fantasy authors and someone asked me like oh but don't you think that you should just sort of make peace with the fact that those are things that are part of who you are and I was sort of like oh see this is the thing like you want me to make peace with it and like I can process it but I don't have to make peace with it like I can still be angry about it and like that's the art that happens as a result of that you know so I think that also a lot of um a lot of the problem is is that in Britain we we live it we there's like a cult of politeness where no one wants to sort of say anything that might be a bit too offensive or cause an argument and we're all just so like oh sorry no I didn't mean it oh no sorry I just no <laughs> let's talk about these things nothing will change otherwise do you have any particular advice to kind of black authors who or writers who are working their way through this this industry in I guess especially in regards mm. to like marketing promotion um interacting with industry professionals is that's kind of a broad question it's I know. really hard um <laughs> because I don't even think I figured it out yet like I'm not I don't know I think you have to pick the thing that you kind of chem the unfortunate truth and like every I, I'm always trying to find a way of this not being the reality and I fail at every turn because I get frustrated but like unfortunately like when you're a black writer when you're a writer of ev any kind of minority group really but you know if I said there's something to be said for like passing for example like if you're gay you maybe aren't visibly gay whereas if you're black your your identity who you are is politicized on site that's what I mean yeah. and like maybe there are other identities where that isn't necessarily automatically the case but when you're black it is and as a result of that when you're a black creative you are always creative and advocate in a way because unless you unless you want to be the only black person in the room which i never do you're always going to be called upon to sort of like try and reach out a ladder to people coming behind you and that's fine like it's enraging but it's fine and i don't i'm more well placed than other black people to to do that you know my position isn't as precarious as other black people i have a book deal i have a good team i you know so but um, yeah, I think you have to pick the thing you really care about. For me, because it's because I, I write YA, it was about like young people and like reaching the intended audience of my books. So I 
go into like a lot of schools and that's and I I'm with a publishing house who when they were like pitching to me said that like school outreach and their relationship with schools is something they really prioritize and that was something that's yeah. really big for me and that was a, a real selling point for me because I was like yeah excellent like you're gonna get me into the the schools where they probably don't get a lot of author visits and I'm gonna be able to like actually talk to the 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 versions of myself that I was writing to you know I'm gonna get to talk to like the black teenage girls who have never seen a black girl mm. on a front cover of a book and say like here this is for you um like literally put it in their hands and be like read this <laughs> um so i think you have to you have to you have to pick pick the space that you really want to occupy and then really occupy it like noisily obnoxiously occupy it and then also surround yourself with uh, like people that you really mm. trust to have your back and to to be in your corner and to yeah that is what i would say it's really hard to do <laughs> Have either of you seen Archer by any chance? Yeah. The cartoon. Do you know that you know the episode where they the Mar what's her name? Marjorie, whatever, is the, the lady that runs the spy agency and they hire this guy that's black and Jewish and yeah. she's so happy. She's like, Oh, he ticks two <laughs> diversity boxes at once. <laughs> yes. And I don't yeah. So I am told by other people there is a little bit of that in publishing, the sense that um and you know, I used to joke with my friends that like I would I would be a great author for publishing to pick up because I can tick like three <laughs> diversity boxes. So <laughs> I don't know if that if we we're just being cynical, if huh. there's a measure of truth to that. No, there's definitely a measure of truth to that. Like of right. course there is. I think there's a measure of truth to that, like I mean again, like it, it, it's it's across most industries, but yeah, a hundred percent like mm. it looks it it looks good for publishers to not just publish one type of person one type of story i do think that and like i'm i'm happy for i'm i'm, I'm happy to take advantage of that altruism <laughs> <laughs> yeah i do i'm sure that like part of it is 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 wanting to seem like you're doing the right thing but also like but that's the other thing as well it's like you have to sort of pick the publisher that you think is going to is 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 isn't gonna screw you. <laughs> Such an yeah. that, that, That's a pick hard choice. <laughs> pick the publisher that isn't gonna screw you. Um, okay. Pick and also like with with stuff like this, like looking at like their track record is really important. Like, yeah, <laughs> are you the first brown face for five years, or you know, or, or have all of their or has every author that isn't white in this publishing house bombed? Have all of their books bombed? Because that's the other thing as well that I think that a lot of publishers forget and i've seen it with others i'm not gonna name names not mine but i have seen this happen where i think publishers when you're black you're told your whole life that you have to work twice as hard for half as much right and i think that publishers should remember that if they're taking on black writers they're gonna have to work twice as hard for their for their authors because it it's happening top down but there is a level to which like you're having to fight it's not enough just to do generic marketing or your standard sort of marketing for for your black writers because uh, that won't cut through because overwhelmingly the readership of the UK is white and particularly like with YA it's overwhelmingly white and so if you want to convince white kids that a book with a black person 
is something they should read and they should care about, then you have to work twice as hard. Because as it stands, the statistics would indicate that white teenagers feel they can relate more to animals, vampires and fairies than black people. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's a bit bleak, like, isn't that's it? an uncomfortable reality. Um, How, yeah, so, I mean, the, speaking of uncomfortable reality, <laughs> how how much of all of this are you able to be upfront about with your publisher, with your agent, etc.? You know, like, mm. are you having to figure out all of this yourself, or is this something that they've been willing to talk to you about and say, hey? You know, we realize there are some systemic hurdles, you know, maybe with, and I just had to look it up, 87% of the population in the UK is white, which is yeah. crazy. I thought I grew up in a white place. And most of it's in London. Yeah. So the further north you go, the wider it is yeah. to the extent yeah. that even, even me, like I, I look fairly pale, right? You know, comparatively as, a, as East Asian. But when I go quite far north in the UK, I'm kind of like, I, I really don't look like everybody else. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, it's a yeah, riot I mean, walking into a pub in somewhere, like, in a, in a yeah. rural northern town and being like, everybody's looking at me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I, and, I, and I mean, I'm just curious how much of this you've had help with, you know, because I mean, it, it seems like something it, that would be worth everybody's time to be upfront with and say, okay, these are the things that we can do to, you know, surpass whatever uh systemic or or demographic yeah. or what you know uh hurdles exist um or have you really felt pretty alone in that uh effort i think so in the in the like very first of like ever meetings that we had about like my book and stuff we talked about it a lot um yeah and i think the it's a difficult one to articulate how upfront have we been with each other I mean, I that's think, that's pretty cool that even, yeah, it was the, you know, it, it was addressed. It was addressed very early that like, and because I made a, I did, I made a real point of, of saying it to mm. uh, first my agent and then like later on to, you know, my editi editing team. Like, I'm concerned that, I can't remember how I phrased it, but I was like, yeah, I'm concerned that like, I'm concerned that what I'm trying to do, I'm just thinking about if I want to say this. <laughs> <laughs> I do that a lot. <laughs> no, you don't. You, you don't think about it at all. So no. well. You just say it. <laughs> I think about it a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's an ongoing conversation. I'm not by any means saying that they're perfect or that it's it's uh, or that there isn't more like learning to do. And I think that like with my next book that comes out, which is like blacker and gayer than the first, I think we're going to have to have even more conversations about like <laughs> you know what that's going to mean, but. I, yeah, I think again, it's like, it's about track record and um, not, but I think the thing that I'm just thinking, the thing that actually has been hard, less with like my team and more just like, because of the lack of black writers in this space, that's what feels kind mm -hmm. of lonely. Like most of my writer friends are white, you know, and like, the, the the five black writers in this space in the UK, I'm friends with three of them. <laughs> and then there's me. <laughs> I only haven't met Femi. <laughs> like, so it's it's a small pool, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's what that's what can feel lonely sometimes. It's like, mm. oh, YA and YA fantasy is a really specific experience. 
because YA fans are so specific. Like you're dealing with teenagers who have all these like big feelings about the content that they're consuming. And so that can either be like really wonderful or really terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, and you're also dealing with adults that read YA who are an entirely different group and who can be very wonderful and even more terrifying <laughs> at times can feel lonely in that sense yeah for sure yeah i was going to ask uh, some quick craft questions if we have time if that's all right um just because i was really interested in the fact that first you use poetry in in your debut book and also second person which is like my favorite point of view ever so much am i yeah do you think that that's influenced by poetry because yeah because a lot of poetry is in second person Mm. and to me that's always like a very personal very deep point of view um yeah i just wondered what there aren't necessarily a lot of verse novels around or second person no i know i went really edgy with the first one i was like i'm gonna write really edgy debut and god (laughs) god bless my publishers for not being like no one is gonna read this ella (laughs) like they were really like yeah you do you so um yeah but i the book actually started when i wrote the dissertation it was a it was a 5,000 word spoken word poem. Like that's how it started. And like, that's sort of how I got into writing in the first place. I started writing and performing spoken word when I was at uni, when my fiance was in a spoken word poetry competition and came second. And I was like, I'm gonna enter next year and I'm gonna win. And I did. (laughs) (laughs) So I, it started as poetry and it, it started as poetry because I wanted to kind of replicate both the sort of like rhythm and cadence of a traditional fairy tale but also I really wanted to hearken back to the oral storytelling tradition that is just like so prevalent within the Caribbean community. Like it, it's just really feels like it speaks to that kind of community and that kind of passing on of like tradition and history and experience. And because so much of my book is set in a hair salon, which is also really sen- like central <laughs> to the black female experience, like oral storytelling is really important in that space as well like particularly when like you're going in as a young black kid to get like your braids done and you're there for like six hours and you're just like (sighs) listening to your hairdresser tell you all these stories and you're telling her your stories and so it was that it that's sort of where the poetry came from and okay all of my hairdressers have been like caribbean or west african and there's such poetry to the their accents and the way that they speak so that's sort of what i wanted that's to fine do. that's really cool this yeah. is probably a redundant question but have you read any roger robertson, robertson? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry i know everyone must mention him <laughs> he yeah. comes to leeds a lot and does a lot of reading that's so cool. that was one of the the few that i used to get out to actually go and see because i think he's really really good yeah live. he's excellent um and then the second person i think i just I just love it. It's so intimate and so Mm. personal. And I also wanted to write a story where um, having spent so much time reading books that centered like other perspectives and, and it, which is just so, it's so funny when I, when people sort of imply that like a black woman protagonist is going to be like not relatable unless you're a black woman. And I'm like, well, I read Hamlet and Harry Potter and nobody ever was like, oh, you might not relate to this because who would say that um but i wanted to i really wanted like a young black girl to read my book and to read the word you and be like that is me like you're right that is how i feel and also i wanted people that 
aren't young black women who don't have that experience to be just like really forced into radical empathy like what would it be like to literally walk 400 pages in this person's shoes you know um mm -hmm. and i think that maybe that's quite jarring sometimes for people but i kind of think it's okay to be jarred like you know not, not everything is meant to be comfortable <laughs> yeah absolutely and um... Can we get you to plug your books and tell us where to find you, if that's yeah, all right? Yeah, of course. So my <laughs> my debut, Rapunzella, or Don't Touch My Hair, was out last year. It can be found most places that books are found. <laughs> and then I have a, another book coming out next year. Uh, yeah, and if we want to listen to your podcasts, yeah. where would those be as well? So, what are they about? <laughs> um, yeah, gosh. So I host a regular podcast called Comfort Creatures on the Maximum Fun Network. And we just interview great people about their pets. And it's a joy. It's so much fun. Um, people are at their best when they're talking about their pets, I think. So that's really enjoyable. And then I'm... Except Scott. He hates his dogs. Do you no, hate your kidding. dogs? <laughs> I, I absolutely love my dogs. Yeah, we'll they, have to get you they're... on a podcast, Scott, to talk nah, about your I, dogs. Anytime. Yeah. See, people love it. People love talking. Any excuse to talk about their pets. Oh. And then I have... A, another podcast with BBC Radio 4 in the works that I'm producing and that will be out later this year so just like fo follow me if you if you would like to that's amazing thanks yeah, thank you so much that was brilliant to talk to you thank you so much for having me it was such a, a joy to be on it can I ask you guys a question just because yes I'm, yeah because I feel like because me and my friends work we all listen to this podcast religiously we have uh -oh. lots of conversations about it in the group chat <laughs> <laughs> the group chat will pop off of listening to publishing radio uh -huh. but the thing we all wonder is like do you get and you can obviously edit this out if you want but like do you not get like angry whatsapps from your editors like all the time so my editor does listen on and off and she told kind of told me this a day before our launch day damage episode went out and i went back and edited it three more times because <laughs> i was nervous and that was a bit weird if i think if we'd known how many editors were going to listen in which apparently is most of tor and orbit and Gollans and, <laughs> and most of the yeah, uk I know. yeah like everyone we might not have done it but yeah tor's not <laughs> Tor's not mad at me, is what I will say. Yeah, uh, I, they yeah. don't seem to mind. <laughs> but I've not said anything that bad. S uh, Scott, you can answer or not. <laughs> it's up to you. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> because I, yeah, I did wonder. I was like, <laughs> this is this is going to be one of the uh, rare times that Sunyu. Yes, I I will ask you to cut this. Edit this yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. If we have anything else we want to say on air, let's say it now because I might want to cut to off and then I'll tell. Uh, I'll tell Ella. The mm. questions. Was there anything else you guys wanted to? Do you have one more? <laughs> Do you feel like, and maybe this is. I I apologize if this is asked often or if uh -huh. it's a dumb question, but uh, you know, I I don't have a lot of opportunities to ask uh, this kind of stuff. Do you feel like the focus? on your race and you know your racial history etc makes it harder for you to tell your stories as an individual does that make sense yeah that does make sense such a good question and maybe that's an a that's a question that doesn't even have an answer or um, we could <laughs> no i think it does i'm just trying to uh, yes and no so I remember being like nine years old and listening to Mallory Blackman speak. I love Mallory Blackman. I was obsessed with Mallory Blackman growing up. 
and she wrote like the Noughts and Crosses series and she famously submitted so many manuscripts and got rejected and people would always kind of write back and say to her like do you not want to write more about being black and so her way of responding to that was to write Noughts and Crosses which is like a racial flip story where everything happened the other way around and uh the continent of Africa colonized Europe essentially and so I feel like I've tried to do that where yes the assumption is always going to be that the stories that I tell will have something to do with my race and my gender and stuff like that yeah and so I just thought but my way around that is not to like avoid the subject it's to be like yeah I am gonna talk about this thing but I'm gonna really make you think about it in a way that you haven't before and 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 yeah i guess like try and find try and try and try because it's so easy when we talk about stuff like race and all these like really big things to forget the individuals like at the heart of those experiences Mm -hmm. and so that's always what i'm trying to drill in on is like what it means to be an individual experiencing that does that answer your question? Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? That is a wonderful answer. Thank and yes, you. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, just from from my perspective, obviously you can do more than one thing at a time, right? Yeah, of course. But that adds, yeah, that adds a layer of complexity mm. for the stories you have to tell. And yeah. you have to be that much better for yeah. them to get across. And it also so. helps that it's fantasy because it's like, I think that's also been the really freeing thing is like I'm not necessarily specifically telling the story of like a black girl from South London because there are like witches and shit, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's wonderful and you have my admiration. Oh, thank you, Scott. Likewise. Yeah. You guys are brave (laughs) doing this. (laughs) Except for today. I'm going to make some you cut before I answer. You've been listening to the Publishing Radio Podcast with Sunny Dean and Scott Drakeford. Tune in next time for more in-depth discussion on everything publishing industry. See you later.